Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to A History of Europe, Kibato's podcast. This is the third and final part on the Russo-Turkish Wars of 1877 to 1878. Firstly, I'd like to give a big shout out to the patrons of this show, who helped to keep this podcast going. Every bit helps, so if you would like to make a, a contribution, please visit patreon.com slash historyeurope. Thank you so much. Last week I described the build-up to the Russo-Turkish War of 1877-78. Reports of atrocities committed by Turks against a popular uprising in Bulgaria had caused great outrage across Europe. This made it politically impossible for the Prime Minister of Great Britain, Benjamin Disraeli, to defend the Turks against the Russians, who seized the opportunity to invade the Ottoman Empire. The justification for Russia's attack was the protection from persecution of fellow Orthodox Christians in the Balkans. The Russian fleet was much weaker than that of the Turks, so a land invasion was necessary. In the last week of April 1877, two Russian armies invaded the Ottoman Empire. One army, some 185,000 strong, was assigned to Europe, sent over the River Prut and towards Constantinople. The other, of about 75,000 men, were sent round the other side of the Black Sea to the Caucasus Mountains. Tsar Alexander II of Russia sought a quick victory in case the great powers of Europe became interested in intervening. In order to reach Bulgaria, they had to first pass through Romania. Although formerly still under Ottoman suzerainty, Romanians had by this time effectively achieved autonomy. In 1859, the provinces of Wallachia and Moldavia had been united when both voted for the same ruling prince. In the face of a large Russian army, 
the Romanians had little choice but to accede to Russian requests for a free passage of their forces. The Ottomans retaliated with the bombardment of a Romanian fortress on the Danube. But the Romanians were not deterred. They proclaimed their independence and their army supported the Russians with the invasion of Bulgaria. Upon reaching the Danube, the Russian army faced a very serious obstacle. Their large army was at risk if they were caught by the Turks crossing the river. They therefore put mines in the water to make sure Turkish vessels could not attack, and they deliberately kept the enemy guessing at which point they would choose to cross. The Turks, with their defensive-style strategy, conceded the initiative to the Russians. They could have tried to assemble a large army to attack the Russians while they were crossing, but they were slow to react and missed the opportunity. The Russians constructed a pontoon bridge across the river Danube at the town of Svistov, where they were confronted with the local Ottoman garrison. In a short battle, the Russians suffered 812 casualties, but managed to secure the bank opposite and to drive off the enemy. At this point, the Russian force was divided into three parts, the eastern detachment under the command of the future Tsar Alexander III of Russia, the western detachment, which was assigned to capture the fortress of Nikopol in Bulgaria, and the advanced detachment under Count Yusuf Gerdeko, which was ordered to quickly move to Veliko Tarnova, the ancient capital of the former rulers of Bulgaria. The Russians under General Gerdeko captured the town from a small Ottoman force with the loss of just two men, and was now well placed for an advance on the Balkan Mountains, the most significant barrier between the Danube and Constantinople. General Gurko's next objective was the capture of the key passes through the mountains of the Balkans, especially the ship Kapas, which was held by an Ottoman garrison of four to five thousand soldiers. His army attacked the garrison from the south in combination with another Russian army arriving from the north. Despite beating back two Russian attacks, the Turkish commanders at Ship Kapas realised that they could not withstand a further offensive. On the morning of July the 19th, while pretending to consider the terms of surrender, the garrison slipped away to the west. Tsar Alexander of Russia joined the army and as he entered Bulgaria he was joyfully received as a liberator. As the Russian troops advanced, the local Ottoman authorities would be replaced by a new civil administration led by native Bulgarians. In the meantime, the Russians continued fighting the Ottomans in the Caucasus. The principal area of operations was the Armenian Plateau, of which the town of Erzurum was the centre. The Ottoman High Command in Constantinople ordered an army to the strategic town of Plevna, which they occupied with a force of approximately 15,000 men on the 19th of July. An advanced force of Russians, approximately 9,000 strong, reached Plevna soon after and set siege to the town. In order to concentrate forces at Plevna, the Russians left the defence of the ship Kapas to Bulgarian volunteers. The Ottoman army made two major attempts to retake the pass, but were unsuccessful. 
The Bulgarian volunteers were able to hold the pass against an overwhelming force and so play an important role in the war. The focus of the war became the siege of Plevna, which held out for much longer than the Russians expected. Situated among vineyards in a deep rocky valley, Plevna was then a town of 17,000 inhabitants, of which about 10,000 were Christians. Many had fled, but some Turkish refugees had just arrived in the town. It was a point of great strategic importance for a number of reasons. It was located on a major road junction, through which six roads ran and several streams flowed. It also lay on the flank of the Russians' march into Bulgaria and threatened any operations which might be intended, especially the advance to and over the Balkans. The commander of the Ottoman army defending Plevna was a veteran of the Crimean War by the name of Osman Pasha. With the aid of skilled engineers, he swiftly created a strong military fortress, raising earthworks with redoubts, or temporary fortifications, digging trenches and quarrying out gun emplacements. Thus from Plevna his army soon dominated the main strategic routes into the heart of Bulgaria. From their first assault in July, the Russians, underrating their enemy, were surprised by the ferocious tenacity of the well-led Turkish defenders, and especially by their modern breech-loading muskets. The Russians and Romanians attempted to break through, but suffered heavy casualties and were forced to retreat. Osman Pasha now had a respite of six weeks to strengthen his defences and build up more redoubts, while the Russians sought and obtained reinforcements from the army of Prince Charles of Romania, who insisted on being given command of the besieging force. The next assault took place from three sides, with every expectation of victory. During the first two days of fighting, both Russian and Romanian flags flew for a while from the redoubts, but on the third day, following a ferocious counter-attack by the Turks, the attackers were forced to withdraw. The strong resistance at Plevna, combined with a defeat of General Gerdeko's army further south and a setback in the Caucasus for the Russians, gave the Turks real hope for a final victory, or at least holding off the enemy and forcing a more favourable diplomatic solution. The British in particular urged both sides to make peace. The Russians gave up on taking Plevna by storm and instead focused on cutting off all supply routes to the town's defenders in order to try and starve them out. The heroic defence of Plevna captured the imagination of Europe, turning back the scales of public opinion in favour of the Ottoman Empire. The Sultan ordered Osman to remain in Plevna at all costs, promising him a new army to march to its relief. The defenders bravely held out, bringing in supplies from the south until the last point of entry was closed by the besiegers. In the end, no substantial relief arrived. By December, at the mercy of the Balkan snows and with the ammunition diminishing, the defenders were slowly dying of exposure, starvation and illness, and the weather was getting progressively worse. Osman realised that his best hope lay in a surprise breakup from the fortress with the bulk of his garrison. In the night of 9th of December, the Ottomans launched a major attack and succeeded in breaking through the first line of Russian trenches. Here they fought hand-to-hand and bayonet-to-bayonet, with little advantage to either side. Outnumbering the Ottomans almost five to one, 
The Russians finally drove the Ottomans back. Osman Pasha was wounded in the leg by a stray bullet, which killed his horse beneath him. The Ottomans were eventually driven back into the city, losing 5,000 men to the Russians' 2,000. The next day, Osman surrendered the city. He was treated honourably, but the suffering of the Turkish army were far from over, as the Russians had made no provision to deal with the prisoners or the wounded. Without cloaks or warm clothing, thousands of the unfortunate Turks perished in the cold. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Russian victory released some 100,000 troops. One army marched over the Balkan range to capture the city of Sofia. Another forced the surrender of a large Turkish army in a ship Kapas, then moved on to Adrianople and so directly threatened Constantinople. Meanwhile, the Serbs declared war on the Ottomans again and captured the city of Nish. And the Montenegrins achieved victory in Herzegovina. In the southern Caucasus, the Russians captured the key strategic cities of Kars and Erzurum from the Turks and so occupied the bulk of eastern Armenia and threatened Anatolia. The Russian army of Grand Duke Nicholas, with no effective Turkish army left to oppose him, marched onward in the direction of Constantinople. The Ottomans were now in a desperate situation, but it would have been worse for them had the defenders of Plevna not held out for so long. The siege had seriously delayed the main Russian advance into Bulgaria. By the time it finally fell, the weather was deteriorating substantially, and the extended Russian lines of communication were interrupted by drifting ice carrying away all their bridges over the Danube. The British historian A.J.P. Taylor went as far as claiming the siege of Plevna was, quote, one of the few engagements which changed the course of history. 
It is difficult to see how the Ottoman Empire could have survived in Europe if the Russians had reached Constantinople in July. Probably it would have collapsed in Asia as well. Plevna gave the Ottoman Empire another 40 years of life. End quote. Anyhow, panic spread through the Ottoman capital. Into the city swarmed tens of thousands of refugees fleeing through the snows in the path of the advancing Russians. There was concern elsewhere, especially in London. The British cabinet was still divided, with Prime Minister Disraeli determined at all costs to prevent a Russian occupation of Constantinople. The Sultan telegraphed personally to Queen Victoria, requesting her mediation for an armistice. Grand Duke Nicholas of Russia continued his advance to the village of San Stefano, on the shores of the Sea of Marmara, a mere ten miles from the walls of Constantinople. He refused discussions for an armistice without a preliminary acceptance of terms which amounted in effect to a dictated peace. Disraeli overcame ministerial opposition to order five warships of the British fleet to the Sea of Marmara to discourage the Russians from entering the city. When an armistice was agreed, the Prime Minister was cheered by patriotic crowds thronging Parliamentary Square. British opinion, fired by this new threat from the Russians, had swung back in a volatile fashion to the side of the Turks. London pubs and music halls rang with a popular song with the following chorus. We don't want to fight, but by jingo if we do, we've got the ships, we've got the men, we've got the money too. We've fought the bear before, and well were Britons true, the Russians shall not have Istanbul. The song gave birth to a new word, jingoism, meaning an aggressive nationalism, and the readiness to use the military to achieve perceived national interests. On the 3rd of March 1878, a bilateral treaty was agreed between Russia and the Ottomans at San Stefano. The terms imposed by the Russians were severe. Bosnia and Herzegovina were to remain subject to the Sultan, but with autonomous institutions. Serbia and Montenegro would all receive Ottoman territory and be independent, as would Romania, although they would lose the province of Bessarabia, today the country of Moldova, to Russia. In the east, several provinces, including that of Kars, were to be handed over to the Russians. The main beneficiary was Bulgaria, which was given autonomous status, with territory extending from the Black Sea to the Aegean, including nearly all of Macedonia. Although in theory subject to the Sultan's suzerainty, the new Bulgaria would be under the rule of a prince selected by Russia, with a Russian-style administration, to all extents a large Russian enclave in the heart of the Balkans. As much as anything else, this carried the potential of Russian ships using Bulgarian Mediterranean ports as naval bases. All that remained of Ottoman-controlled territory in Europe was a small rump in southern Thrace, the southeastern corner of Europe near Constantinople. The European powers reacted in alarm at the prospect of the breakup of the Ottoman Empire in Europe and the Russians replacing her in the Balkans. Otto von Bismarck called a congress in Berlin which eventually agreed to confirm the Russian annexations in the South Caucasus and also to leave her with Bessarabia but only at the cost of dismantling Bulgaria. Its southern half, renamed Eastern Rumelia, was to remain part of the Ottoman Empire, as was Macedonia. 
the Russian public erupted in fury at the news of the emasculation of Greater Bulgaria. The Panslavists were particularly angry. They believed that what Russia had won at great cost on the battlefield had been surrendered by her diplomats. They denounced the Congress of Berlin as a conspiracy against the Russian people and urged an aggressive nationalist foreign policy. The Russian government, with its ambitions in the Balkans, curbed, now shifted their strategic focus to Central Asia. The independence of Serbia, Montenegro and Romania were formally recognised at Berlin. But as was perhaps inevitable, the way in which their boundaries were determined left all the states dissatisfied. The new Bulgarian state, after hopes raised of greatly increased territory, but now deprived of access to the Aegean, entered its life with a ready-made programme for territorial expansion. Also separately, the Ottomans relinquished control of Cyprus to Britain in exchange for an annual payment and a vaguely worded promise of help against future Russian aggression. Austria-Hungary had not been involved in the war, but stability of the Balkans required that it receive gains to balance those of Russia, and so was accorded the administration of Bosnia and Herzegovina, although in theory still under Ottoman suzerainty. Another reason for granting the province to Vienna was that after the events of the last three years, the Bosnian Muslims and Christians so detested one another that a Bosnia left to its own devices would become a hotbed of unrest for a long time to come. The Austrian army had to take control of the province by force, but in spite of some fierce localised resistance, were able to do so in less than three months, with losses of under a 1,000 dead and under 4,000 wounded. However, Bosnia proved to be more of a liability than anything else for the Habsburgs. The population was mostly orthodox, with a substantial number of Serbians, who were susceptible to intrigue from the pan-Slavic movement, as well as from Serbian nationalists keen to build a greater Serbia. The danger of Russian imperialism in the Balkans was replaced by that of Balkan nationalism. The spirit of national consciousness, which had dawned earlier in the century, with the successive rebellions of the Serbians and Greeks, led to the struggle of the remaining minorities for national independence. A fragile peace remained into the 20th century, but the European powers were left with a conundrum of how to find a new way to ensure long-lasting stability of the various newly independent or semi-independent Balkan states that had succeeded the Ottoman Empire. been listening to a history of europe key battles podcast if you like the show and would like to support it please go to patreon.com stroke history europe thank you for all your support another great way of helping is by giving a, a good review on itunes or wherever you found the podcast next time we're going to be moving on to the final conflict in the podcast but it's going to be a big conflict, the First World War, and this set of episodes will consist of 19 parts. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about the First World War, and I certainly hope you can join me then. All the best. Until then, goodbye.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.